Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Jeff Sire, and with me today is Mike McPeak. Hello. And Julie is not with us tonight, so it's just going to be Mike and I. So uh, we're going to be doing the Fantastic Voyage, the 19... Was it 1966, I think? Yep. Okay, 1966 movie. And I'll read the synopsis from IMDb. A diplomat is nearly assassinated. In order to save him, a submarine is shrunk to microscopic size and injected into his bloodstream with a small crew. Problems arise almost as soon as they enter the bloodstream. Yeah, well, even before they entered the bloodstream, I was really hoping we could have had Julie here tonight because I'm watching the movie, and then one of the opening scenes there, when they get to the uh, the medical center there, they've got the, they're assembling their crew, and that one guy goes, a woman, we can't take a woman along with us on this trip. Yes. <laughs> I kind of wanted to get Julie's take on that because I'm sitting there rolling my eyes so hard, I think I sprained something. Oh, and they ask Raquel Welch. Uh, I can't remember how it comes up, but he goes, "Oh, you must be something in the kitchen." <laughs> like, like, like the cat. Like, I think it's funny the the casual sexism that like they don't even realize. I, I think that character was supposed to be pretty forward thinking, right? You know. So. Yeah, and you know, I, I had to keep reminding myself all through this movie because there are a few other things besides plot holes here that I kind of looked at it and you know, kind of went, ugh, really. But you know, it was 1966, and I was only about mm, four years old at the time. But I do kind of remember that era, and I think this movie is kind of in line more or less with that era, uh, the thinking, the morals, and you know, and uh, some of that kind of stuff. So. Um, and you know, and some of the technology I was looking at in there, I'm kind of going, and I, I don't know if it was appropriate for the time. Maybe it was, but I'm, you know, some of the stuff they were using like paper maps, but they were putting them over top of um, right. screens or something. It's like an overhead projector for a paper map. It was their version of high tech. Yeah, you know, there was that uh, kind of stuff in there. And I guess, you know, looking at it, this was kind of their vision of what the future was going to be, and. Um, <laughs> the future apparently is needlessly complex. <laughs> yeah, like the, the number of people that are driving around in golf carts and people are just people are walking just in random directions, but with a sense of purpose. Yeah, that uh, face was crazy. Well, they even had a traffic cop out there directing the traffic, uh, the the golf yeah. carts. I'm going, wow. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it, like, <laughs> and the whole they had like a bank vault door to go into the to the lab where most of the stuff takes place, and like. Why did they have? The, why did they need that giant door? Like it said something about sterilization, but then they just walked in. It was just an office. <laughs> so yeah, it, uh, some of the things. Yeah, like I say, as we get into this, well, th- there are a few, like I say, plot holes and a few things. But um, I think I read somewhere that this movie still gets ninety-two percent on the Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I believe it. it. It's a. You take it for what it is for a nineteen sixties, and uh, I think it was pretty fun. Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, I think if there was ever a movie, a movie for my, you know, my string theory, um, or a candidate for my string theory, this this movie is. I mean, it, don't jerk on the threads, but it's still a good, uh, good movie. Um, right. Even though the, some of the science is kind of, you know, um, and I think uh, I read uh, in the trivia here somewhere that they said that um, medical schools, at least as late as the 1980s, would show clips from this film to illustrate uh, various parts of human anatomy, physiology, and especially immunology. So there was some stuff in there, some science that, you know, it held together. It's just that some of the other stuff was kind of like, uh, okay. Yeah. 
I don't know about that. <laughs> like when they sh- the uh, the membrane between when they're in the bloodstream and the the lungs were in when the uh, oxygen transfer and everything that was kind of like at one point it was something that he had to push through the membrane and then it was like all of a sudden it was like a gaping hole and he went straight from you know this gale force wind to I'm in the water like yeah <laughs> yeah uh, yeah there's some of that stuff and you know like I said, I'm not a doctor I don't even play one on TV um, but uh, some of the stuff I had to wonder how accurate it was but you know for a movie you know like say especially in the 60s because um, they I think nowadays we pay a lot more attention to the science and stuff in here although I think I did read that they did have a couple um, experts you know uh, uh, in association with the movie that were you know kind of making sure that they had their stuff mostly right but um, yeah I don't you know but and and the other thing is you have to remember too in the 60s the public in general probably wasn't as familiar with uh, some of the science as we are now. So I think they kind of, I don't want to say dumbed it down, but they explained it more so that, you know, most people could get it. Nowadays, you don't have to do that so much because we're familiar with a lot of this stuff. And so you can just kind of, we've got shorthand for a lot of this stuff and just, we can, this is it. And then we can get to the plot of the story. We don't have to do so much background and explanation. Right. And (laughs) this, this movie doesn't have anything to do with time travel. But I think Raquel Welch, there must be some time travel going on there, man. Because you see pictures of her today, like it is unbelievable that this movie is like, you know, what, 50 years old and she looks like she does now. And like that is it blows my mind. <laughs> uh, she's in a stasis field. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, she holds together well. Uh, as so say the sexist men on the show. But. Yes, exactly. And you know, I, I bet, well, I, I didn't look up the names. I know you do a lot more of the trivia, but I wouldn't be surprised if pretty much every other guy, uh, well, the main actors, they're probably every single one of those guys is dead now. <laughs> but um, oh, James Brolin was listed in the credits. I didn't notice him, but uh, yeah, he's one of the technicians, I guess. It was brief, I guess. I didn't really see him in there. I know, and I know that I've met, I see him mentioned here a few places. Um, um, and I didn't really look for him. And besides, he would have been so young. I, well, I suppose I would have recognized him, but you know, with haircuts and everything, I may or may not have recognized him in the movie there. But um, right. And since we kind of strayed into the um, um, subject of sexism here, you know, <laughs> the, the scene where they uh, she was attacked by the antibodies and they're they're peeling it off her. Yes. Yeah. Well, the first time they filmed that scene. Uh, uh, they were all being gentlemen about it, and they uh, when it came to ripping ripping that stuff off, and so uh, when it was done, she kind of had what looked like a uh, uh, a stripper outfit on because they left it in key areas because they didn't want to go groping her. <laughs> well, then the second time they did it, they just kind of said, um, you know, don't be so gentlemanly gentlemanly about it. Well, and they weren't; it just kind of looked wrong. So the third time they filmed it, they choreographed everything so that it looked good, uh, really? so to speak. Yes. That's pretty funny. Well, yeah, I thought it was kind of – well, as I'm sitting there watching it and they're pulling the stuff off, I'm kind of going, ooh, I'd like to film that scene. Uh, <laughs> well, and, well. And, and then my wife and I were talking to – and the one person I would like to be in that whole movie is the guy who spends the whole time on the operating table. I think I could pull that one off. Yeah, yeah. Well, that part of the plot, like – it's really just an excuse to get them into the submarine, shrink the submarine, put them in there. But like the uh, 
they say he's almost assassinated. I don't even understand how that happened. Like, did, there was the shooting, but did he get shot? Uh, there was that limp-wristed, um, well, I shouldn't say that, but he was in that car crash. Right. Uh, uh, which I think was his actions were a little overacted or whatever. But uh, And he hit his head. I think that may have what caused the uh, oh, okay. the uh, the blood clot. Um, yeah, and then they took him out and then they were shooting at him. I thought the whole, the way that thing was filmed was, you know... You know, they had to get the action started somehow. And so that's, you know, was their way of doing it. And it was just, let's get through this so we can get to the, the submarine part. Here, yeah, so. and, you know, the the obvious thing to do then is shrink a submarine down to deal with the problem. So I guess it was before they invented blood thinners or any other thing that could deal with, like, a you know, a stroke victim. <laughs> but uh, Well, yeah, and like I say, I, um, I'm not a medical person. I don't know what the treatment was for a blood clot, you know, almost four, well, about forty-eight years ago. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if surgical techniques, especially if it's way inside the brain there somewhere. I don't know if they had much that they could do for that. Um, I don't know if they could, like, maybe have drilled a hole and relieved pressure. But what else may have that have done? Well, and how about the the thing if they did, if they didn't get them out in time, they're going to just revert to normal size, and they're in his brain. Yeah, and suddenly I have a picture of an exploding tomato in my head. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it would have been pretty. No. Well, then you would have had the submarine inside your operating room too. That would have been a little awkward. <laughs> but talking about this being needlessly complex, I didn't time it. If I was going to be watching it again, I would watch it with like a with a stopwatch. But, like, the whole miniaturization process, that must have taken at least 10 minutes of the film. Probably it must probably longer, maybe 15. Like, it just seemed like this went on and on and on. And they have this special machine that comes over. And then, like, they can't bend down to pick something up. The whole floor thing has to rise up to waist level so they can pick it off. Like, it was just, oh, my God. It just goes on and on and on. <laughs> with a miniature little forklift to come out and yeah. pick them up and take yeah. them over. Yeah, because my wife is, she watched with me and she's kind of rolling her eyes, going, Couldn't they just, and I'm, you know, trying to kind of uh, weakly defend the movie and kind of went, Well, would you want somebody picking you up who may have had too much coffee, shaking the thing and you're know, getting rattled around? I guess I would rather write on a miniature little forklift. But yeah, like you say, it was really kind of like overdone. Um, and it took, you know, so long to get them there, but once they came out, boy, they, you know, plumped up real quick once they came out the guy's uh, tear duct there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I say, if you get past some of that stuff, um, you know, and and they, you actually start getting into the body. I think they probably had the, you know, the, the, um, the, the biological stuff inside the body, um, you know, fairly accurate um, as far as f- traveling up the bloodstream and the way some of the stuff worked. And, and from what I can remember about biology, I think they're uh, when they were talking about antibodies, uh, uh, assuming the form or of the what they're attacking. Right. That sounded sort of correct. Um, like I say, I, I wasn't really studying biology, but you know, I, it was something about the antibodies will adapt to the shape of whatever the foreign invader is, and you know, overpowered or something like that. So, um, I think there was certain uh, medical stuff in there that seemed more or less accurate. Right. Yeah. It. The. This was almost seemed like it was an excuse to use special effects to do a biology movie. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, and you know, and, and it may be kind of a sneaky way to get people to learn a little bit about biology because you know, like I say, you slip it into a movie, and you know, you may learn a few things along the way. So, um, and like I, said, I think they probably had somebody on staff, so they're at least the medical uh, parts of the movie were were reasonably accurate. Um, and and Donald Pleasance got killed by the antibodies, but his body didn't return to normal size, so I guess it was like. <laughs> ripped apart or something like i don't know well um looking at imdb db and um and wikipedia and stuff there there was a few flaws in the movie one of the thing was if you sh- shrink everything down uh and put it inside the body anything that stays should go back to normal size so the submarine was left in there that should have um you know, gone back to full size uh, along with uh yeah donald pleasant's body and the laser that they left in there so that stuff all should have returned uh, once the process wore off. Should have gone back to normal size. So yeah, the guy should have been um, um, just basically dead then. Um, now one thing was uh, there was a book written to go along with the movie that Isaac Asimov uh, wrote, and some people mistakenly think that the movie is based on the book, but no, he they get he got the script and sat down and wrote a, mo- a book based on the movie. Right, and he addressed a few of the things in there, like you know, if you left that stuff in there, and then, and then like all that saline solution that they uh, shot into him, that should go back to normal size too, because uh, that got shrunk along with the submarine. So if you right. take you know f- gallons of water or whatever the um, that the submarine was in, that should go back to normal size. The, well, the way he addressed it was that um, when they were swimming out the tear ducts, they. Um, get some antibodies to chase them and they drag the submarine out along with it to the tear duct. Um, and so that's how he addressed that stuff going back to normal size within the body. Um, you know, that was his plot device. And then what he said, as far as the saline solution goes, it was just a very small amount in there. So, you know, that probably could have came out the tear duct or, or, or something too. He at least had, uh, tried to address some of the logic flaws within the movie. Right. Well, I did. I did enjoy it. It was. It was uh, a fun movie, and it was very much in the. Uh, uh, Julie will be happy. We'll refer to Star Trek. It was, but in the uh, the original series of Star Trek, kind of uh, special effects. You know, like with the, uh, you know, big uh, foam rocks and that kind of stuff. <laughs> it was that kind of level of uh, special effects. Yeah, it was that level. But you know, I think they were well enough done. Yeah, you can kind of see that some of it looked like you know. Uh, uh, gauze or uh, uh, you know something hung there, but you know it, you felt as long as you didn't think about it too hard, you felt like you were in a body. You could kind of get into the movie and you know a lot of that stuff. Uh, and like I say, special effects in the '60s weren't were, certainly weren't as high tech as they are now. Yeah, yeah, but it's a fun movie overall. Um, right. Some of the other tech that they had, they also had uh, the laser rifle, the easily sabotaged uh, laser rifle to uh, to cut through the whatever the arterial blockage it was, um, which uh, they never explained why they had to have this laser to do it, why they couldn't do it with like a, you know, like a troweler and something. But uh, Well, I thought, I suppose they were thinking that the um, a laser rifle would kind of vaporize it uh more and break it up so that it wouldn't go on further and do more damage from you know debris going through there um and it must have been quite a powerful uh rifle to cut a hole through the submarine the way that it did yeah yeah 
Yeah, that was that was one heck. Of, you know, it could vaporize uh, a blood clot, but it could cut through a submarine too. Well, and also it could it couldn't go through the sheet of whatever metal it was that she was testing it out on earlier. But as soon as you aimed it at the the uh, submarine, oh yeah, it cut through that like a hot knife through butter. <laughs> yeah, it left a pretty big hole for him to go swimming up into. Um, yeah, yeah. It, uh, again, string theory, but you know, um, and. Uh, you know, you, you were, uh, or my wife and I were kind of rolling our eyes at some of the stuff. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, just the, the thought behind the movie, you know, and the science behind the movie to try and miniaturize somebody and put them in the body and then take a journey through it. Just um, kind of an interesting concept because this, this is one of those movies I've been wanting to do for a while because we've done a lot of outer space stuff and, and this kind of stuff, but we really haven't journeyed inside the body. Um, I should have gone back to looking at the episodes that we've done, but I don't think we've really done anything to address actually going inside the body. It's always that you know, like outer space or something. Yeah, no, I don't think we've done anything. Um, anything else like that? No. So I mean, I thought this was an interesting concept. I, you know, I still think it's you know an interesting movie when you know, you know, it, it, I put it in the in our show notes that we we got here that what we uh, today it would be like nanotechnology. We wouldn't be. Sw- uh, shrinking people down to put inside the body. We'd be miniaturizing machines. They're building miniaturized yeah. machines. We wouldn't be shrinking them. Um, but th- this is how we would address it today, would be with sending nanobots in. Right. And like, uh, and bioengineered biological machine nanobots. Yeah. Uh, not like, I think a lot of people, when they hear the, the, the phrase nanobots, they think of tiny little, like, uh, little robots or something like that but i think nanobots most nanobot technology especially to anything to do with medicine is almost always like engineered uh single cell organisms or something like that yeah this is an area completely beyond my you know expertise and so i'm sitting here thinking if this movie was to be written today yeah they would probably use nanotechnology and then you would have a hacker somewhere hacking into <laughs> the nanotechnology and attacking so that uh you know it'd be kind of like um war games meets um fantastic voyage or something like that i'm just looking something up uh yeah there's a thing called a molecular motor um because it's a molecular machine and it's a uh, essential agent of uh, movement in living organisms. Yeah, so it's uh, – and they've been able to create those synthetically. So they can uh, – I don't know where nanotechnology is at for, for that. But like if you ever see uh, – they'll have videos on, on Wikipedia – or not Wikipedia, on uh, YouTube or something like that. But uh, yeah, they're like little little motors that, you know – Act as pumps or or whatever. Yeah, they're like tiny, tiny, tiny little machines. Uh, you know, and just the fact that we can start building things like that, it, it just kind of you know boggles my mind uh, to be able to shrink things down. You know, to the size that we can put, you know, something inside the human body like that. Even if it's not quite true machines, and even if it is like you know engineered uh, uh, organisms or something like that, the fact that we can use this kind of stuff to address what they were trying to do in the movie with a, a submarine and five people on board. Yeah. Well, what other the lasers? We talked about clotting drugs, nanotechnology. What other, what other uh, tech was there? Almost all of it was focused around the uh, 
the miniaturization. Well, yeah, and you know, and some of the other tech that you know was in there, you know, we kind of addressed. But the way that they were, uh, well, okay, the one thing that I really, really rolled my eyes at was the way they were tracking the uh, the submarine within the body. They had all those little miniature radar dishes around the guy there. Oh yeah. I'm looking at that and going, oh, come on, people. Because uh, it was just like the little uh, miniature radar dishes that you would have out tracking satellites or something. And the, so they had them set alongside the body there, and they were going back and forth and up and down. And um, uh, um, Okay, I, I get what they – it was kind of a shorthand to explain to the people, yeah, this is how we're tracking the, you know, the submarine in there. But I'm kind of looking at that going, oh, boy. And – I suppose maybe for the time it kind of had that high tech look to it, I suppose. Right. But you know, forty eight years down the road, it's kind of like, oh boy. And this is just just prior to uh, any sort of really digital revolution. So there, all of the clocks are just the analog numbers spinning like a, uh, like an odometer sort of thing. <laughs> There's no digital numbers, digital readouts or anything like that. It's all like uh, oscilloscopes and everything. Well, yeah, and then they had the guy on the ladder with the map of the body behind him there, and he's moving this magnetic uh, uh, disc along, showing him where they're at in the body. So I guess it would be, without you know big screen technology, it is helpful to know where they're at and what's happening. Um, Can you imagine what it would be like if, if one of those people – from 1966 that made that movie, if they could come forward to today and see like the computers and even what we're doing right now, like that would blow their mind. Oh yeah. Cause we got more computing power, you know, between you and me here than what they probably had in their whole base there, maybe. Um, yeah. and yeah, just the things that we can do, you know, and I guess you think about it, you know, cause the movie is about miniaturization and, and such. You think about the power that we have here, um, is a miniaturized version of you know larger computers, and they just keep shrinking them and shrinking them, because um, um, well, I, I tweeted out this um, uh, weekend. I got a, uh, a tattoo in my arm, and I get one of them is a nerd tattoo, and I got uh, my first computer on there, which was a Tandy color computer, and that had um, I think it was 16k of memory in it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so I pull out my cell phone to take a picture of it, and I realize I'm holding more computing power in my hand, in one hand, than my first computer had. And you know, and that's all par- uh, thanks to the, the miniaturization of everything, b- making things smaller and putting more stuff in the you know smaller area, and getting it to work better and you know more efficiently and everything else. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the benefits of kind of the whole miniaturization type thing is being able to pack more power into a smaller area. Yeah, and like I say, if you were to bring these people forward and look at all this stuff, you know, a phone that you could carry in your hand, no wires, you know, that alone would, you know, kind of blow their mind. And then all the technology, the, you know, the mapping, you know, uh, a CAT scan, um, something like that. To be able to look in, look inside the body without having to send a submarine in there, you know things like that. Um, yeah, I'm sure they would just be completely fascinated by everything. Right. Um, and, I don't know if we. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I don't know if we have a whole lot more to talk about with this. This is going to be a really short one. Well, um, yeah. because there's, yeah, you know, like just so much of it was. Uh, 
Um, like we could talk about the special effects in the movie that they've certainly come a long ways uh, technology wise, but it's it's really just a product of its time. Like it's not really that much different from Star uh, Star Trek or uh, um, or other other movies of that time. Although <laughs> this really this is another movie that really reminds you how great two thousand one looked. Yeah, because uh, two thousand one was was that sixty eight. It's 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 around the same time as as this one. Yeah, I can could only be a few years off. I think uh, nineteen sixty eight. So it came about yeah, two, years two years later. Yeah, and like I say, you look at the uh, the filmmaking technology between you know in just those two years because in this one they had all the outside scene, uh, scenes outside the submarine where they were swimming. I think they used wires to uh, uh, do that. Yeah, uh, it didn't really look like they were any in any sort of water or anything. Yeah, and I think uh, some people said if you look close enough, you could kind of see a wire, some wires in the uh, in the scenes, and to try and hide them, I think they had kind of acid washed some of the the wires so that they wouldn't show up so much. And in the process of doing that, they kind of got weakened a little bit, so there was a few that broke uh, during the filming. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know the movie making technology. Yeah, I mean that's well. Like I say, even between two, the movie two thousand and one and and this one, uh, they certainly and they probably had a bigger budget to work with too. But um, you know, I'm not really faulting the the special effects in this movie because I yeah. they, they were believable enough. Um, yeah, th- like uh, this this movie wasn't cheap though. The budget was uh, five million dollars, and that would have been a lot of money at at the time. And uh, the budget for two thousand one was only ten. So. Like twice as much as this one, but uh, you know, like I guess your dollar went a lot further back in the '60s than it did uh, does today. But well, I'm pretty sure that they weren't paying, uh, especially like stunt people or anything, uh, that much uh, money. And I don't know; they may not even had too much for stunt people uh, in this movie. I think because there wasn't anything too dangerous. They probably did their own own work in there. That wire work was probably all stunt people though possibly um yeah yeah because i was watching on uh cbs sunday morning they were talking about stunt people and really it's only been within the last you know maybe 40 50 years that they really kind of stunt man has become an occupation because they had things like um you know buster keaton would do some of his own stunts and some of those so way back when stars would do some of their own stuff but yeah, they probably were uh, stuntmen were probably coming into their own about this time. So, uh, yeah, they probably would have had to pay them some, right? Um, I guess you know the one thing. Uh, I guess it makes sense, but I did. I thought it was kind of funny in the operating room when they move into the ear canal uh, and they tell everyone to be quiet. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then the one woman picks up the rag to wipe the doctor's sweaty brown. She knocks the, the forceps on the floor, and it goes ringing through there, and they all get flung around inside the ear canal. Um, you know, the, uh, the the smart Alex side of me is sitting there thinking, okay, what if uh, Blazing Guns meets uh, Fantastic Voyage? I'm thinking about the fire um, <laughs> fireside scene um, where they're all eating beans and tooting. You know, everyone's yeah. dead silent in the room. And, you know, everyone's tense, and all of a sudden you hear, uh, <laughs> and then it goes reverberating through the room. Um, yeah, it's a good thing they don't let me direct movies. I don't know how well it would turn out. <laughs> Be all fart jokes. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, that would be... Uh, but, yeah, you think about the reverberation something like that would cause. That would probably be worse than a, you know, forceps hitting the floor. <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps. Well, then you got everyone coughing and gagging. Yeah, and then, the, yeah, they probably would have been crushed in the ear canal. So, yeah. It's just as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys, it, 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 you know, we're sorry. You know, we're going to save you, but, you know, one fart brought the whole thing down. So. <laughs> So and in the end, they did save the uh, save the guy. Luckily, and uh, you never really saw why that was even important. <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, yeah. It, it was something about he held the secrets on how to maintain the uh, maintain uh, miniaturization. Once you shrunk somebody, you know, you got past the sixty minute uh, threshold that you could do it indefinitely. Uh, and you know, it was kind of weird in the description that, and uh, in a couple other places I read, they called him a diplomat, but apparently he must've been a scientist if he, you know, knew how to, uh, maintain the, the shrinking process. Yeah. So <laughs> the, are you familiar with the term MacGuffin? Yeah. Something is thrown in there just to kind of hold the movie together. Yeah. Yeah. The whole diplomat thing and getting him getting shot, that's all a MacGuffin just to get them into the shrinking machine. And then the movie happens and then they get extracted and the MacGuffin kind of carries on. It's just a, it's just a plot device to, to uh, hey, let's do a movie about a submarine that uh, shrinks down and gets inserted into a person's bloodstream. Yeah, and I think um, there was a, uh, a scene that was never filmed that uh – where they they cured the guy, but because of the operation, he uh, developed amnesia and couldn't remember how this whole process worked, so it was all for naught anyway. But that scene never got filmed. <laughs> well, that would be uh, <laughs> that would be a true waste. <laughs> yeah, I think that would probably be why it didn't. But it would be, um, I don't know, sadly ironic, I guess. Uh, yes, it would be. <laughs> Well, do we have anything else to go over here? I know no. this is uh, shorter, but uh, we did, uh, uh, even though Julie wasn't here, we want, did want to get a uh, podcast out this week. So what you're, gonna, uh, what you're saying is, is this is going to be a small episode. Yes. Yeah, uh, very good. <laughs> I was tweeting out bad jokes when I was watching this movie. I said, this movie uh, makes me think of Steve Martin's uh, first album, Let's Get Small. Oh. <laughs> My wife just came up. She heard us talking, and she uh, she wanted to make sure we made a reference to the magic school bus and how they too had shrunk down and been inside people's bodies. <laughs> oh yeah, well you know, looking at Wikipedia here, the uh, um, yeah references and culture. Yeah, it was a uh, concept that was ripped off, and they said that they might have actually ripped off this concept from I Dream of Genie because they had. Uh, a somewhat similar thing where um, the astronaut had to get shrunk down, put inside somebody's uh, mind. Um, so I don't, you know, Fantastic Voyage wasn't the first one to come up with uh, this one. Um, right. And it's been a, um, you know, a, a um, trope that's been used in other things. Yeah, I'm seeing things like Jimmy Neutron. Oh, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. and Oh, yeah, Fairly Odd like Parents. That. Yeah. So it's uh, uh, Simpsons. I'm just you know looking down through the line here. Uh, Lilo and Stitch. Oh, and then uh, that movie Inner Space uh, was kind of ripped off that plot too. Right. Well, 
if you had to pick one kind of technology, <laughs> would it be the shrinking one? Is shrinking part, or would it be something else? Um, I was trying to make a Raquel uh, Welch uh, reference in there, but I can't figure out how to do that. <laughs> I'll just take Raquel Welch. <laughs> <laughs> She's my technology. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whatever is uh, whatever type of voodoo is keeping her as young looking as uh, as she is. Yeah, I'll have what she's having. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and well, you know, you know, I guess the whole miniaturization stuff. You, you, you think about it, if you could shrink stuff down smaller and make it easier to ship. Um, and you know, one thing that was never addressed in the movie, um, even though you may shrink uh, the mass, wouldn't or shrink the volume, wouldn't the mass stay the same? So. <laughs> Um, although it would make it, you know, probably cheaper, less, you know, as far as aerodynamics trucking stuff, even if you were able uh-huh. to put it in a pickup truck rather than like a, a semi, um, you know, just wind resistance. But, you know, the weight would probably stay the same. But just the thought of being able to shrink things for storage or uh, shipping or something like that, that, you know, is an interesting proposition. And then when you get it to the other end, you know, blow it up to full size again. They also never addressed any of the things about uh – like when you do shrink something, um, because you're shrinking the what what is it the volume, but you're not shrinking the uh, the linear s- size at the same rate. That's why ants can lift like you know the equivalent of a you know five times their body weight or something like that, just because they're so small, right? Um, same thing. Like if if those people had been shrunk down to that size, they would have like had essentially superhuman strength for their size, right? Um, possibly so. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. Like if you took a, like a, an insect and then blew it up to our size, it would no longer be able to fly. If it was a flying insect because it, uh, um, it's the surface area of its wings is increasing in two dimensions, but it's, it's volume for its, body is increasing in three dimensions, right? So it, it can no longer support itself with wings uh, that were in the same proportion. Hmm. So that that type of idea, so which they didn't address that at all. They were they shrunk down to the size they were and they were still proportionally just as strong as as uh, uh, as they were as you know back in the, at their normal size. Well because now I've got to thinking about it here there was a superhero called Ant-Man, which was basically his, his power was to be able to shrink thing, uh, be able to shrink down and get places. And I think, yeah, they're going to make an Ant-Man movie. Yes, uh, they are. <laughs> uh, next year, according to IMDb, apparently. Um, and that would, you know, yeah, maybe it'd be along the same lines. If Yeah, if he shrunk down, would he have proportionally more strength? I don't know anything about Ant-Man. I read Ant-Man, well, he was, when he was part of the uh, Avengers, I read a little bit of that when I was a kid, but uh, I don't remember anything other than he had a ridiculous helmet. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I don't really remember. I think I think he had more powers than just super strength. I think he could actually communicate with ants or two or something. Okay. But, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, like I said, that, again, that's sort of a movie... Uh, well, the comic strip actually. That um, of course does Ant Man predate this movie? How long is hold? There is him. Ant Man, the comic book character, uh, first came into being in 1962. Okay, so 
uh, Ant-Man actually predates this movie. So, you know, and like I say, you know, in the whole culture, science fiction culture, especially, there's a lot of crossbreeding, borrowing of ideas and that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, and I'm sure that, well, I'm not sure, but it's possible that the people who wrote this movie may have taken a little inspiration from here and there and everything. So, um, yeah, and just the idea of being able to shrink and, you know, get inside a body like that or shrink and go places, um, that you couldn't normally go. You know, it's an interesting idea. And this, you know, and you go inside the movie and do a medical procedure, this movie explored it uh, fairly well, I thought. So, All right. I would take the laser rifle. <laughs> yeah, especially if you can just, you know, uh, randomly cut holes in submarines with it. That'd yeah, it'd be cool. awesome. <laughs> well, look out, submarines. <laughs> I'd have your number. Yeah, we got so many of them in South Dakota here. <laughs> well, I guess that... Uh, Wraps up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. You can check us out at scifitechtalk.com where there's all kinds of cool space junk available for purchase or you can follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. If you have ideas or comments, please send them to sci-fi tech talk at gmail.com and reviews on iTunes are always welcome. So Mike, where can people find you? Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter uh, every once in a while saying semi-intelligent things. Uh, and you can find me there at DSC Chetman, and I have an about.me page with a, uh, at about.me slash Mike McPeak. And people can find me on Twitter at Bronco Sire, where I'm mostly posting motorcycle pictures now because I'm finally – there's most of the snow is gone and I'm able to ride my motorcycle again. And uh, so I guess that's it for this week. Oh, and I want, just wanted to make sure that I said before we finished that uh, unless you're living under a rock and uh, haven't uh, heard about it, that uh, you should all be watching Cosmos because it's the best. It's been awesome. It's about halfway through its run right now. It's got 13 episodes, and it's fantastic. It's on Fox on Sunday nights. So there's our plug for, for watching Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson. So until next week, we'll see you in the future. Where do you wonder, Nader? It's the sci-fi tech talk, Nader.